I'm Halima Atta, and welcome back to another episode of A Little Perspective. Before I delve into the introduction of today's episode, I find it impossible to disregard the most recent attack on the Asian and Asian American community here in the United States. Just this Tuesday, Robert Aaron Long committed a brutal attack in Atlanta, near three local Asian-owned spas. The terrorists shot and killed eight individuals, with six of them, the majority, being Asian. This act of racial terrorism only represents a fraction of the attacks that have happened recently, domestically, targeting Asian individuals. Within the past year, attacks against Asian Americans have increased by 150%. And this surge in racial terrorism can be accredited to the anti-Asian rhetoric that has surged as a result of the racism surrounding the coronavirus pandemic. While this epidemic is only beginning to gain recognition now, it is all too familiar for many Asians, with many observances dating centuries back. While it's disheartening to see, progress can be made, starting with solidarity with the Asian community. So please check out the links in the description of this episode to support this movement financially. It is imperative that we make an effort to stop Asian hate as a collective. Happy Friday, everyone, and perhaps more importantly, happy new episode day. For some background on how I've been doing recently, I think the most fitting word would be overwhelmed and a little stressed, so two fitting words, not one. Um, Because for my classmates and I, today marks the beginning of spring break, meaning the past couple of weeks have been nearing the end of the quarter, which typically represents a period of stress since so much work is being assigned and grades are getting finalized. Anyways, as you can likely infer from the title, the contents of this episode will be centered around mental health. A seemingly popular topic, this is one that can be observed in every environment, and one that is of particular importance to really anyone navigating through life, as demonstrated by my stress after reaching the halfway point of second semester. Because mental health is such a multifaceted topic that holds a different meaning for different people, I decided to make this episode the first one of a two-part series, with both parts delving into mental health from a different perspective. Speaking of perspective, not everyone views mental illness and mental health in general from the same one. Depending on factors such as environment and age, this perception can be what causes many to view it in either a negative or positive light. But one factor trumps all of those which I previously mentioned. Race According to the American Psychiatric Association, Black and African American people are more often diagnosed with schizophrenia and less often diagnosed with mood disorders compared to white people with the same symptoms. Meaning, despite Black individuals showing the same behaviors as their white counterparts, it's common for them to be diagnosed in a significantly different manner. This misdiagnosis only represents a fraction of the disparities observed between minorities and white individuals here in the United States. So, why do these observances exist, and what does that demonstrate about the relationship between mental health and minorities in this country? Continue listening to gain a deeper understanding of the systemic issue. So to give some background on this topic, it's important to establish what mental health as a whole even is. As stated by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, more commonly known as the CDC, mental health includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It affects how we think, feel, and act. It also helps determine how we handle stress, relate to others, and make healthy choices. Now, a concept that stems from that is mental illness, defined as conditions that affect a person's thinking, feeling, mood, or behavior, such as depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, or schizophrenia. Mental illness can either be occasional, consistent, or chronic. It's important to note that those two terms aren't interchangeable meaning not every individual will suffer from a mental illness and someone having mental illness doesn't necessarily mean that they will never experience a period of mental well-being. But despite what the name suggests, mental illness can often manifest itself into physical symptoms, feelings of restlessness, insomnia, headaches, among others. 
These varying symptoms, of course, depending on the severity of the illness, can actually play a role in the acquiring of other sicknesses. Moreover, mental illness actually happens to be one of the most common health conditions in the United States. One in five Americans will experience one within a given year, with more than 50% being diagnosed with a mental illness or disorder at some point in their lifetime. Oftentimes, though, people tend to assume that these disorders are all a direct result of trauma. And while that's a major reason as to why one could develop and experience a mental illness, there's a variety of other reasons as to why they can appear in people. Among these reasons are biological factors such as chemical imbalances in the brain, constant isolation or loneliness, and the constant use of alcohol or recreational drugs. Quick disclaimer though, I am in no way a mental health professional, so if you have any concerns about your mental state, your mental health, please consult a qualified professional. On that note, consulting a mental health professional is one of the most integral steps in bettering one's mental health. In order to make an effort to treat an illness, it is necessary to get insight from someone who is well-versed in the psychological field. And because mental health plays such a significant role in maintaining physical health, one getting the correct diagnosis means getting access to treatment that is much better suited for them, their bodies, and just their physical health. Moreover, there is a significant difference between noticing symptoms similar to that of a certain mental disorder and having a legitimate diagnosis from a qualified psychological professional. Self-diagnosing does not equate to a proper diagnosis, and doing so can have detrimental effects. Something I've noticed is that this self-diagnosing thing has become increasingly prevalent with social media. A lot of people will be sad one day and automatically equate that to having clinical depression and center their entire personality around that. Through this, many people start to fetishize mental illness, claiming that they have disorders that they don't in order to appear more relatable or even cool in a way, which just stems back to the whole relatability thing. And the effects of this can be very harmful. When someone doesn't consult a qualified mental health professional to get legitimate a legitimate diagnosis, they're depriving themselves of the proper treatment that them and their bodies, their physical being needs, because the treatment for something like depression, for example, is very different than the treatment of something like obsessive compulsive disorder. So when somebody diagnoses themselves with a condition that they don't have, they're not going to actively seek treatment that pertains to the condition they actually have, if they have one at all, which can obviously have very negative effects on their health. But as much as self-diagnosing is wrong, it can be all that some people have. Many fail to realize that having access to a mental health professional to get a legitimate diagnosis is a huge privilege. It's something that many don't have access to, whether because of a toxic home environment, financial reasons, distance, factors like that. And unfortunately, this is the reality for many predominantly minority populations in the United States, something that can be attributed to systemic racism and that continues to affect many people of color disproportionately. According to the United States Office of Minority Health, in 2017, suicide was the second leading cause of death for African Americans, ages 15 to 24. But despite this statistic, only one in three African Americans who need mental health care receive it, based on information from the American Psychiatric Association. So what this demonstrates is that although they constitute a good number of those in need of mental health care, Black Americans have a much lower chance of actually obtaining it. While rates of mental illnesses in Black Americans are similar with those of the general population, they tend to receive poorer quality of care and suffer from a lack of access to legitimate care. Additionally, in 2015, among adults with any mental illness, 48% of white people received mental health services, compared with 31% of Black and Hispanic people. This really showcases a circle-type effect, if you will. Black people, for example, have higher rates of suicidal female teens than non-Hispanic white people. 
But while this exists, they also have a lower rate of diagnosed mental illnesses, leading people to believe that the black population isn't really suffering mentally, which is not the reality, as this smaller rate of mental illness in the black community can be attributed to a variety of factors, such as a lack of access to psychiatric professionals to actually diagnose them. It's not that black people in the United States don't have any mental illnesses, but rather that they often go undiagnosed, which causes them to get reported as not being present at all. In turn, this leads to a general disregard for the mental health of black individuals, depriving them of proper professional care, which causes rates of reported mental illness to remain low, while conversely, rates of attempted suicide continue to increase. So these are just a couple instances of the racial disparities that the minority population in the United States experience pertaining to mental health. This makes it necessary to analyze why these differences exist at all. The reason why systemic racism is so hard to dismantle is because it's generational, which brings me to the first reason as to why these disparities exist, racism. And this reason presents a lot of different barriers to treatment, especially for Black Americans. The first barrier is the general distrust of healthcare providers by Black Americans. Take the Tuskegee syphilis study, for example. A prime demonstration of racism at the hands of medical professionals, this experiment began in 1932, when 600 black men were included in a study to analyze the effects of untreated syphilis. However, this study disregarded the code of ethics completely, failing to inform these participants on what they would actually be experiencing during the study and misleading them to think that they were going to be treated properly. While a fraction of these men had syphilis, some didn't but all were promised to be treated for their sickness, to receive health benefits. Quite the opposite actually happened. These black participants were manipulated and misled, not being offered any treatment even after penicillin became widely used to combat this exact illness. Originally intended to last six months, this very unethical study continued for 40 years, ending in 1972 after public outcry. But the long-term effects of the study were adverse. A large amount of the men included in this study died as a result of complications from syphilis and the medical help that researchers denied them continuously. Many of their family members also contracted the disease as a result. But perhaps the biggest long-term effect of the study? The general distrust in medical professionals by Black Americans. Because this infamous 40-year study was essentially racism at the hands of medical professionals who are trusted by the public who are, who swear to protect American citizens, a lot of black people in the country at this time, and even something that's continued to now, generally stopped trusting medical professionals with the fear that this experiment would happen again, just in different forms. According to the American Psychiatric Association, compared with non-Hispanic whites, African Americans with any mental illness have lower rates of any mental health service use, including prescriptions, medications, and outpatient services. So while mental health services are now widely accessible to most people in the United States, Black Americans tend to not want to receive this help because of the adverse effects of this Tuskegee study that occurred in 1932, spanning all the way to the 70s. Additionally, of the estimated 41,000 psychiatrists in the country, only 2% are Black. So this distrust in the American psychiatric system by Black Americans is responsible for the underdiagnosis of mental issues that the Black community suffers from, and results in few Black people being present in that field. And considering the history of racist medical practices that have occurred in the United States over the course of the past few centuries, it's not surprising, and it's really justified. This reluctance of Black Americans to receive, to want to receive mental care, at least from professionals, is a prime example of how generational trauma works. 
even though this occurred decades and decades ago, it's something, it's a fear that has been instilled in many Black Americans throughout the country that has just trickled down generation to generation to generation. Because if you are a descendant of somebody who was part of this Tuskegee study, for example, your family would generally be pretty afraid of trusting medical professionals who swear to protect the American population when they were racist to those who needed their help the most, who were so vulnerable to syphilis, for example, back in 1932 to 1972. So these effects are generational, and they're the reason why so many Black Americans are generally reluctant to receive medical care from trusted medical professionals. The general distrust of mental health professionals by so many Black Americans within the country represents a much bigger issue, one that can be attributed to years and years of systemic racism. Another reason why these major disparities exist is because of cultural factors and stigma that stem from slavery. During the practice of slavery, most notably during the 1800s, a popular belief held by the population was that black people did not feel pain the same way that white people did. It was believed that black skin was thicker than any other, that black people had these biological differences and innate abilities that made them tolerant to all pain. The result of the spread of this corrupt belief was a racial bias in treatment. For example, the man known as the father of modern gynecology would experiment on black slaves without anesthesia because of this belief. Of course, they did feel this pain because black people are human beings like everyone else. And it still affects the black community today, this mindset, this belief, as they are considered by so many to not suffer from mental issues. The lack of people of color, especially black people, in the psychiatric field only exacerbates this belief. So, of course, as a result, many black Americans go undiagnosed or even wrongly diagnosed because of this general distrust and the lack of representation in this field. As I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, Black and African American people are more often diagnosed with schizophrenia and less often diagnosed with mood disorders compared to white people with these same symptoms. And this can be attributed to that racial bias, which stems from years and years of slavery and continued systemic racism that only infiltrates medical offices, making way too many Black people reluctant to receive mental health care. And this stems back to a point that I mentioned earlier, back in season one in the episode I did on Flaws of the School System, part one and two, which you should definitely listen to if you haven't already. And that point is the importance of representation. When you are represented, not just in like the media, because when people say representation, they automatically think like Netflix movie, like that there's a black character. It goes a lot deeper than that. For example, in the medical field, more specifically the psychiatric field, black Americans' reluctance, which is completely justified, to be subject to medical medical care at the hands of these medical professionals is something that would be fixed significantly by more and more an increased number of black people in the medical field. Because when black Americans have somebody that looks like them in a medical setting, they are much more likely to be trusting of them because of their similarities, culturally speaking. And the black American community's distrust in many white medical care professionals is backed up by a significant amount of evidence. According to information from the American Psychiatric Association, physician-patient communication differs for African Americans and whites. One study found that physicians were 23% more verbally dominant and engaged in 33% less patient-centered communication with African American patients than with white patients. So this reluctance shown by so many Black people in America to receive mental health care from medical professionals doesn't just come out of nowhere. It's completely justified given this country's history of racism against Black people in the mental health field and in the general health field overall. So why do these racial biases observed in the medical field still persist? 
Well, the reason for this is the same as the reason I just explained. There is an all too common belief that black people don't feel pain the same way that others do. And while this belief isn't stated as blatantly as it was in the 19th century, it still exists, just in a more subtle form. A common example, the trope that black women are always strong and powerful and aggressive. And while two of these adjectives seem to have good intentions for the most part, what they do is characterize black women, for example, as a population that doesn't ever depend on anyone else, specifically that doesn't ever need mental health assistance. And what this does is invalidate the mental health concerns that many of them hold. When black people suffer from mental issues, as the majority of the human population does, it's quickly dismissed by society, which quickly covers those concerns up with a band-aid saying, oh, you're a strong black man, or you're a strong black woman, you don't need help. And judging by the suicide statistics circa 2017, which I previously mentioned, that is very wrong. Essentially, black people are humans just like everyone else, and while many characterize us as being overly aggressive and strong, we as human beings can suffer from mental issues, and many do, which often go undiagnosed because of barriers such as those I previously mentioned. Now, as no episode of A Little Perspective would be complete without me offering some kind of potential solution to a problem, this time it's to be more open about mental health. It sounds very simple. But obviously, it's not a quick fix. It's not easy to erase years and years of generational trauma, but it is a possibility that we can each make an effort to make a reality. And it starts with unlearning racial biases. For non-Black people, this means not quickly stopping somebody from complaining about their mental issues, Black people from complaining about their mental issues with the excuse, you're a strong Black man, you're a strong Black woman. Those are really counterproductive and they do a lot more harm than many people think. Actively listening to black people who complain about their mental illnesses or struggles is the best way to be an ally when you're considering people that are not black in this issue. And for members of the black community, it is no surprise that a lot of us have parents or have family members who don't believe that mental illness is a real thing, that it's not something that really affects black people. This is something that we have to constantly learn to overcome a belief that we need to learn to dismantle because it's rooted in white supremacy, that black people don't feel emotion the same way, that we don't feel pain the same way. And by unlearning these very awful racial biases, we're even making just the smallest step to end this element of systemic racism. Ultimately, mental health is something that is important in every single human being, not just white people, not just black people. It is important that we all are aware of our mental issues, if we can spot any, and that we're open about it, that we start a conversation about how we feel to our family members because that's the only way that we'll be able to dismantle this element of white supremacy in order to create healthier future generations. To conclude, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of A Little Perspective. I hope you were able to take away a new piece of information about this aspect of systemic racism that is often disregarded by way too many people, black and white Americans alike meaning it's important to start having more conversations about mental health to unlearn these racial biases. With that being said, make sure to tune in next Friday for the second part to this two-part series on mental health, where I will delve into its effects in the school system and even feature some insight from real students. If you want to be featured, visit my Instagram at a littleperspodcast and check out the link in my bio to take the mental health survey. As always, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week here on A Little Perspective.